share with you any of my Okay. That, um, God, no, they're I mean, so annoying, and they talk on their phones all the time, and they're on <laughs> Facebook, and they're just like, yeah, no, this doesn't apply to Sansa, does it? No, 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 but... This week, in our chapter discussions, this episode, and of course on Friday's episode, we will be celebrating the teenage girls of Westeros. Hooray! Yay! So get out your bubble gum and travel with us down this (sighs) yellow brick road as we celebrate first Sansa and Danny uh, later in the week. Of course, not very happy chapters at all. (laughs) No, I'm going to say, what a celebration. Yeah. But of course, so... Uh, <laughs> we are presented with the falling action, if you will, of course, of Ned's departure from this world. But this time it's from Sansa's perspective. Oh, yep. so sad. Is it? Is I it sad? It is. You don't or is it sad? miserable? Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's both. Sad, miserable. Yeah. Well, she's pretty miserable. She, she immediately secludes herself. Well, not secludes herself. She goes up in the tower and says no visitors and really just ends up spending most of her time awake uh, and asleep in between wakefulness and, and, and yeah. sleepiness. I wanted to bring this up because last week we were talking about how Bran and Rickon had had a dream about Ned Stark, how he came to visit them in the crypts. And, you know, it's not said exactly what he said to them, but they were sure. And, and, and of course, they had just found out the previous chapter uh, Master Lewin received the raven, saying that Ned had died. Now Sansa is dreaming about Ned. Yeah, but these dreams sound less prophetic and more just her not being able to get that moment out of her head. You know? Yeah. Like I thought it was an it's an yeah it's an interesting um, parallel there or difference I should say. So are you suggesting that she is not? I mean, we speculated on the last episode that, that the other two, the boys, are psychic or mm-hmm. have some kind of weird connection to the magical like a different realm do you think sansa even though she's a stark do you think she's too much like her mother that she doesn't i think it's because she doesn't have her wolf oh i mean i've said i've kind of talked about this actually since almost the very first beginning or the very first beginning the very first episode of game of bones that i think that the fact that sansa lost her wolf so early on i think that matters in these cases i think there's a reason that yeah. she's not as tied into all of this as the rest of them. But it's interesting because you could almost argue with the the path that Arya has taken that she is the lone wolf of the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a way, Sansa is too, and then so is Jon. You know, it's because they're all kind of broken apart, and then you wonder moving forward: is this pack ever going to come back together again? Uh-huh. You know, they've been so spread out, and we've seen what's happened with Ned, and then in season two of the TV show, obviously Catelyn and Rob believe that, you know, Bran and Rickon are dead. So it's just, it's just a complete ripping apart of this family. And, you know, it's interesting, Eric, you know, that you noted this. It's that Sansa has a complete opposite, polar opposite experience to Ned's death that Arya has. You know, Arya is kind of cradled by Yorin and, you know, told not to uh, watch. Whereas Sansa, you know, she sees everything. She, you know, literally in these dreams that she's having, every single detail, she notices how Ned's legs basically uh, twitched after his head was chopped off. She is completely damaged by this experience, and calling it an experience is kind of 
doing it an injustice, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just she didn't have anybody, as you said, to cradle her. You know, Arya had Yorin to say, don't look at this, because he knows what it's like where you, you get stuck doing what Sansa's doing, which is replaying the image of her father's murder. You know, she's she's essentially being haunted by these dreams that are probably brought on more by guilt than by magic. Yeah. And a question I had for you, and because when I read this, I thought how disrespectful that they would use ice to chop off his head. But I completely agree. Yeah, because I guess in some ways people would look at it as being appropriate. But I looked at it as being extremely disrespectful that you would take the man's own sword, the sword that is known that that he has used for many, many years and use it against him to, to kill him to me is just the ultimate insult. I see that. But on one hand, I say it's not disrespectful because it's just a sword. Secondly, I wanted to say, wouldn't it be more disrespectful if they use just a common sword that they use to kill all their people with? Like, you know, can you see that kind of where it's like if they just used any sword, you know, ice at least is significant. It's befitting. It's, it's you know, yes, it's his own sword, but at the same time, it, it has its own kind of mystical element about it. Although I will admit when I was reading and I thought the same thing, oh my God, he's got ice. Like how ironic that you should be, have your head cut off with your own sword that and all that the other stuff. But the other thing I want to say is if they did in fact use any other sword, they, they runs the chance of not being made of Valyrian steel, runs the chance of not being made as well. What if they went to behead Ned Stark? They couldn't. They, they hacked it as, but, but he ended up being nearly headless Ned. <laughs> I had to rush no. that association. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, they wanted something that would do the job cleanly, right? And yeah. clearly yeah. his Valyrian steel ice would, would be there. And I think as in terms of just, in terms of um, book ending the book, if you will, that you had a story that started with a deserter from the wall being beheaded by Ned with ice. And then at the end of the story, you had, almost at the end of the story, you had Ned himself being beheaded with ice. Yep. Yeah. So, but uh, clearly it's, it's, it's just getting to Sansa. And in fact, she is, I guess, most shocked that because she feels the guilt, but also that she asked for mercy. And this is, this is something that's, that's bothering her throughout the chapter. And when she eventually is, you know, returned, Joffrey, you know, comes to her. She, she really has it out with him over the fact that she felt she did everything she could writing the letters to her parents, she really thought kind of the whole time that she was working for her father's freedom and, you know, and convincing him to say, you know, to, to admit his treason and all this stuff. She just feels like it was for nothing. And she's gotten really a cruel awakening, even though she spends most of it um, asleep. She, she's really gotten this crude awakening to who Joffrey is as a person, what sort of person he is, and also how the world works. I believe a quote from this chapter is, in the real world, the monsters win. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's a, I think, another thing, reading this chapter, as terrible as it is for Sansa, and as, as sorry as you feel for her, I also think, for the readers, there's some kind of vindication in seeing her... I mean, this was what it took to get her to finally see Joffrey the way that we see him. 
and the way mm-hmm. that everybody else sees him. She's been she's been the one that we've been every everyone has been like Joffrey's a horrible horrible guy. He does all these things. He killed Micah. All of these things. And then you have <laughs> Sansa going, "Oh no, but he's wonderful." And you just want to slap her in the head. And now she finally sees. She goes she was staring at him, seeing him for the first time and she talks about his worm lips <laughs> and stuff like that and I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> yes, I was going to say she sees him worse than other people now. <laughs> yeah. She she keeps talking about these worm lips. His lips are like, yeah, she just absolutely loathes Joffrey. And and so he does come to her, of course. There there are a few other people who visit her. Um, There are servants. Grandmaster Pycelle comes because she's not eating her food. She refuses her food. He kind of has to check up on her, make sure she's not really sick or anything like that. You know, just sick with grief. And eventually, though, Joffrey comes. And this is kind of the moment I had been waiting for, you know, that knock on the door where Joffrey comes in. But he seems pretty nonplussed from from what just happened. He's pretty happy with himself, I should say. Yeah. Psychopath. <laughs> well, she initially thinks it's Sir Ilan Payne coming to kill her, right? Yeah, she's is it one of those dreams that she's having and she's like naked and he's coming to the door? Yeah. Yeah, and to me, this chapter really showed the readers even more so how diabolical Joffrey is and you know, the fact that he has Sir Marin go and slap her around for being what he deems as disobedient it, you know you just want there to be that moment and you almost at times think it might be the hound who steps in and just slices open Sir Marin's throat or just punches Joffrey straight in the face because it's just such ill treatment of a person who's just been through this tremendous grief. This was unexpected, the Hound, and the fact that initially, and we're going to talk about obviously what Joffrey said, but when he leaves, the Hound lingers, and Sansa has been hit by Sir Marin, and she's bleeding from the ear or whatever, and the Hound gives her some advice he just tells her to do as she's told because it'll be best, you know? Yeah. But it's the sensitive it's the sensitive moment, the sensitive side of the hound. Immediately she has this connection with him. In fact, she later defies or said, makes a comment to Sir Marin the second time he comes in the room, and she says something like, you know, she thinks to herself that the hound would laugh if she knew that, or if he knew that she had told Sir Marin that he wasn't a real knight for hitting her. So she has this, you know, thus begins, unless there was another point where it begins, thus begins a relationship, you know, between her and the Hound, which is very special. Mm, And it's always interesting because I know that in the fandom, there are a lot of people out there who really feel strongly about Sansa's connection to the Hound. I believe, I mean, they had their moment earlier in the story after the feast, I feel, when he walked her back to her room mm-hmm. and they had that conversation when and he shared his past with her and he told her that she was a little bird and, 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 and I feel like for Sansa's development this kind of stuff is very important because she doesn't need someone to coddle her at this point. You know, she is changing. She's becoming more stark like, I feel like, by the moment here and, and she needs this kind of not not what Sermarin does obviously, but she needs someone to just say, Look, no one's going to save you. I mean, you you have no choice here. No knight is going to rescue you. All you have is yourself and us who are horrible people. Um, Mm. So in that sense, I think their relationship is really important, but you're always sort of left thinking, well, is it enough? 
you know, because as you say, he doesn't step in to try to save her, and he does later in the chapter stop her from killing Joffrey. And I know, I know that he's not, he doesn't have any reason to, or he doesn't, it's not his, in his person, but still, you know, I feel like it's, it's complicated. But then what isn't in Game of Thrones? That's, that's fair to ask. Of course, so Joffrey does come in when, when he does come in, and he basically says, hey, my name day is coming up, what are you getting me? Yes. And she's just like, oh my god, really? Because she's still having nightmares over the fact that he killed her father. There are some great lines in this chapter, but I think namely in what we were talking about, about getting to know Joffrey, she cries to him that she had asked for mercy for her father. And Joffrey replies, you know, he got mercy. If he wasn't your father, I would have had him torn or flayed. Instead, I just, you know, a clean kill. Yeah. It was just with its head. And I thought, wow, clearly, clearly, this is the Joffrey. And thank God for Sansa realizing it, that he is not at all something to be adored. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, she really gets even more insight into who he is when she is watching him hold court. And they kind of gloss over the things that the council was responsible for making decisions on. But then you get to the things that Joffrey was responsible for making decisions on. The mm-hmm. the thief whose hand he has cut off. The two knights who are quabbling over land. He says, okay, you guys, you're dueling to the deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a woman who falls to her knees to plead for the head of the, the man that was executed as a traitor. She said that she had loved him. Which is weird because I didn't understand if she was referring to Ned no, at that she moment. Wasn't. Um, but anyway, uh, must have been another person whose head he cut off. And, uh, you know, he says, if you love a traitor, then you're a traitor too. So off to the dungeons. And then the singer, uh, who had come up with that song about, uh, Robert, and he tells him, you can either keep your tongue or keep your hand. Mm-hmm. You have till tomorrow to decide. And that's actually a, a scene in the, in the, it was series. in the show, yes. It that's was good in the terrifying. show. That's terrifying. Did, did that make any of you guys just like shudder? And just yes. think, oh my gosh! And then you like you touch like your hand to your tongue, and you go like, "What? What would I do? Yeah. I don't know." <laughs> well, either way, it, it, but it works in a in a really sick eye for eye way. Giving him a choice does seem to him in his own twisted way like a mercy. Right. But of course, either either way, you choose. You're an outcast. He's a singer. He sings for a living. This is back in the days where you can't just do other things or start your own business. You really can't survive without your fingers. Gonna do a startup. He, he, you can't do a startup. You can't do anything like that. Without your tongue, though, you're forever an outcast. You can never talk to anybody. The thing is, if he had chosen his tongue and not his hands, I think he would have died faster. And I don't think we find out what he chooses. It's kind of irrelevant. We see him get his tongue, tongue cut off in the show. We get we see someone anyway. I remember oh, okay. This. I yeah. think it, it is. It just shows it's, – it's such a clear contrast to Ned ruling as Hand of the King. Uh, you know, when those matters came before him that we saw, we got brief glimpses of. Uh, and now here you have Joffrey who's just chopping off body parts, sending people to dungeons, beheading people. You know, it, he's he's a terror. And, mm-hmm. and, and he has no – there's nobody who is sort of counseling him. Even the council is not counseling him, not, you know, preventing him from doing the things that he's doing. And remember, he's born of incest. You know, they said – you know, mad Aris Targaryen, you know, because he he was mad because of the bloodline, because of the fact that the brothers are sleeping with sisters. Well, Joffrey is another perfect example of that. 
you mm-hmm. have that kind of that that they've set that out in the show or they in the book how there's like a fifty fifty chance you know with these incest children, and that's both the Targaryens and the Lannisters, I suppose that either they're fine and they're nice good kids like um Myrcella and Tom and they seem okay like they don't seem psychopathic at least not from what we've seen so far, you know, yeah, so. It's just I feel like you know just like the that Sansa is really seeing Joffrey and who he truly is um, for the first time. I think the readers are too. I, you know the readers can obviously interpret things a little bit better than she can chapters before this, but I think True. really now you're starting to see a lot about his personality and and how he rules as a leader. Just just too because of the things he says to her, he is not. Sensitive, He says to her, you truly are a stupid girl. My mother says so. She worries about our children, whether they will be stupid like you. And he actually says to her that if she does have a child and it's stupid, he will cut off her head and find a different wife. He says this to her in this chapter. In this chapter, he says this to her when she's grieving over the loss of her father. It's like it would be crazy if he said it to her at all. But... So she's obviously very distressed to find that the wedding, in fact, is still on. And this is something that, um, again, Joffrey brings up Cersei Lannister and says that she she says that the wedding is still on. And I was thinking, well, now, because we kind of know more, it's more obvious in the show, but we know that Cersei did not intend for Ned to die as a result of the, the war that it would cause. Uh, you know, I think that can be fairly inferred. Now I'm thinking, you know, clearly the marriage between Sansa and Joffrey has to con- has to go on because it would be one of the only possible ways to link the two families in a non-war way, you know, moving forward. That Joffrey, in fact, needs to wed Sansa. Otherwise, the Starks and the Lannisters may, you know, really fight to the death. Yeah, and it's also about keeping her captive. Uh, clearly, well, we don't really know this yet, but Arya is, in, in their minds, is missing. It, it, it's it's about having that pawn in their back pocket, you know, having that one thing that they can hold over the head of the Starks, because now that they've gone and killed Ned, it, one would think that the North is going to have the banners called and head south towards King's Landing, right? Mm-hmm. So holding Sansa hostage in a way by still keeping her betrothed to Joffrey is in their best interests. So that's another side to it, um, you know, to kind of prevent that war from taking place. So let's talk about this stroll. Um, this was obviously, this was a scene in the, in the series, Yeah. but essentially they go to visit. Joffrey is, is such a nice person. He knows exactly where to take her for their first date. Um, after her father's death, and he takes her to see Ned's head on a spike. Yeah, but so disrespectful again. Like I, I, I understand that he is billed as this traitor, but he is also, you know, Lord of Winterfell. And you took his head and you put it on a spike to hang above the entire kingdom. You know, you you should be treating the dead with a little bit more respect, especially someone of that level. You know, and and that's what that's what I don't understand here. You know, like Tyrion comes in and he takes care of business later on as it relates to all this. But clearly, there has to be somebody on the council, even Cersei, who can step in. You know, initially, why didn't Cersei go and visit Sansa? I think that it would have been much more effective than Joffrey going to visit Sansa. You mm-hmm. know, it seems like Cersei is very hands off as it relates to all this, where she could be doing much more to benefit the situation moving forward. 
Well, I, I know you've made the point that because he's a child of incest, Joffrey is in all likelihood pretty freaking just regular crazy. But, you know, would you blame Robert at all, Baratheon, you know, his supposed father, for the lack of bringing this child up right to the fact where he doesn't respect the dead at all and he's just this reckless toad? You know, wouldn't you blame Robert for that a little bit because Robert was never really there to supervise the growth of his son? Like, Joffrey is utterly a Lannister. It is extremely clear when he even tells Sansa that the two open spikes are for his uncle Renly and his uncle Stannis. You know, like, he can just say that, that it doesn't hurt him that he's going after the Baratheon uncles. He identifies with House Lannister, and I think that's mostly because his father... The Baratheon was never there, and he was raised by his mother, and he was raised in the Lannister ways, and it was almost always intended for him to, you know, really take over the kingdom at some point. Well, I think that's, to a large degree, is, is Cersei's fault, because I think that she, she's never wanted Rob, Robert near Joffrey, because of she's always known the truth, and she's always felt like Robert wasn't worthy. You know, she's talked about killing the child that he put inside her once, you know, when he accidentally got her pregnant. So I think that, to an extent, also Robert never felt connected to Joffrey, for obvious reasons. And, you know, it's just, I mean, I'm sure we can blame Robert, but to an, but only to an extent, because I, I feel like all of this that happened between him and Cersei... They're all to blame. <laughs> like it's nobody yeah. it's nobody's fault more than anyone else's because you could argue as well that Cersei would have been like they would have been happier together if Robert hadn't come into her bed that first night and called her Liana. And mm -hmm. it, that's what it all comes down to and I feel like it was just downhill from there. I, I I guess I mean I just look at it as he was Lord fucking Stark. You know what I mean? Like how is it that this is how he's treated even if you know, he admitted to doing something that clearly he never did. It's just, how are you allowing this? How old is Joffrey? 12? He's 13, I think, but he's the king. That's the problem that they're facing is no one really knows to what extent they're allowed to boss him around. Yeah. Because it all depends on where, because that's the whole thing. They say that power only resides where men believe it resides. So if all of Joffrey's sor sworn swords believe that he has the power, all th they need to do... Like, all he needs to do is, if someone displeases him, he's like, take her to the dungeon, have her whipped, have her killed. He can do that yeah, to Yeah, I think in a, in a way he needs to be this reckless just because he's making everybody fear him uh, correctly. But he enjoys being reckless. And it, it just, it just, really, it's just rock bottom for all of the Seven Kingdoms. And I think George R. R. Martin is taunting us at the end with this possible fall to the death. Sansa foresees... That Joffrey, they're walking, I guess, on this plank, or the, you know, in the show it was more of a plank, um, you know, a narrow bridge. She's looking over the edge. There's an 80 foot drop, and she says, "Wouldn't it be so bad? You know, just a little push. It wouldn't even be bad if I went with him." She thinks about pushing him over, and of course, the Hound, who is all about her courtesies, steps right in the middle of them. And, you know, he like sees, he senses that this is about to happen. But I just thought, why? Why would he? possibly stop that because of course now everything that we see joffrey do and i believe joffrey will have a long life and a prosperous life making hell for others and the rest of this book series that it all comes back to this moment when sansa could have pushed him over the edge because she loathes him she absolutely cannot stand him but she lacks the courage to do it yeah 
No, it's it's a good point. It's a, it's a really good point. And what was the hound thinking? What does he care about Joffrey? He doesn't on like one... him. It's very clear that the hound doesn't like him. At least to me, I seem to sense that. Uh, Selena, so what's his motivation? Agree. Well, I, I'm not sure because I always kind of got the impression that some part of the hound does like Joffrey because Joffrey treats him differently from everyone else. You know, it's kind of like similar to I don't know if um. It's not really that similar, but Stannis in the books, he has a daughter, and she has this friend, this is not really that big of a spoiler, but she has this friend who is considered strange by everyone else, and he, like, follows her around. And I kind of feel like this is the same thing, Joffrey and the Hound. Nobody really respects the Hound. The Hound doesn't really have a place, except Joffrey has made him a place. Mm. Um. So I'm always sort of thinking, if he really is looking out for Sansa here, or if some part of him is loyal to Joffrey, despite everything that Joffrey is and has done. Yeah. It's good. Uh, I don't know. I think anybody would have, anybody would ha- have the reaction that Micah had, though. Like, he just took her to see her father's decapitated head. Yeah, I know, but, I mean, ultimately, the Hound is a bad guy. I mean, he's a, he's a good guy um, compared to some of these other people, but he's still a bad guy. So mm-hmm. I feel like there there is that thing of, of well, if he's loyal, but it's to someone we hate, does that al- automatically make him bad? Or is the fact that he's loyal, does that make him more honorable, despite the fact that who he's loyal to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I couldn't help but see this moment for what it was, which is a what if, you know, really yeah. an alternate timeline, an entire alternate timeline where... I'm sure hundreds of extra people will live if Joffrey were to die right now and the the, the realm would be without him. I, I can just see how this is a pivotal moment. And, of course, I would expect nothing less from, you know, what is the sort of the conclusion of this book, the concluding chapters of this book, that there are these moments where so much is, is possible to be changed, but so much is changing, and it's happening a little fast. All the worst things. That's the thing about this at the end of this book that's so brilliant and so, like really bums us out is that all of the worst case scenarios happen literally <laughs> you know with Ned and with Danny and with Arya and with like and with uh everybody it's just it's so funny yeah now I, one difference though from the TV show that I thought was in there was that there's no serial Pharrell because he goes through all the heads but Serio, I believe the dance master mentioned in the TV show, but not in the book. Oh, so his fate is as of yet unstated. Was his face shown in the TV show, though? I thought it was. I thought I thought Joffrey mentions him, but I could be wrong. But I always thought that his head was up there as well. But that I'm sure leads to more open-ended theories. Show owns everybody. Yes, that. Of course, transitions into our owns of the episode. Which, of course, uh, which one of you would like to go first? Well, I can go first. There's uh, some pretty good Sansa owns in this chapter. I like the moment when she, when he forces her to look up at the heads and she just looks and she goes, how long do I have to look? And I'm like, because oh, I remember that moment from the from the show. And it's one of those moments that just make you realize that Sansa is stronger than she appears. You know, she might have... Her Her strength might be different from the other Starks, but it's there. So well okay. done, Sansa. Micah? Yeah, <laughs> there are so many good ones, but they're just so bad at the same time. It's just... <laughs> e- they're evil. 
It's it's actually when she's looking at um, Janos Slint. And it says, Sansa stared hard at his ugly face, remembering how he had thrown down her father for Sir Illyn to behead, wishing she could hurt him, wishing that some hero would throw him down and cut off his head. But a voice inside her whispered, there are no heroes. Oh. Aww, be the hero yourself, Sansa. <laughs> yeah, I wish somebody <laughs> would throw Slint down and behead him, too. Yes. Yeah. If only. <laughs> the guy has it. The guy has it coming. Um, he does. Yeah. And my own is also Sansa's. She is protesting the marriage. She says to Joffrey, I don't want to marry you. You chopped off my father's head. <laughs> that was a good one. So there Ooh, is I that. have a, I have a second one. I do have to mention this one. It was um whenever uh, Joffrey went, oh maybe I'll give you your brother's head, and she goes, maybe my brother will give me your head. <laughs> like oh zing. <laughs> it was good. She was good. Yeah. Well done. Well done, yeah. Sansa, for having a backbone. Yep. If you guys have other owns that we may have overlooked, of course this is obviously a very heartfelt chapter, very sad, depressing. Um, please send them to us via Twitter at twitter.com/gameofowns. As always, if you have any comments about the show, you can email us. Micah, what is that contact address? Contact at gameofowns.com. There you go. That was simple. And of course, it has show, not changed. <laughs> it has not changed in case anybody was worried that it was. And Selena, where can people go if they want to do fun stuff? <laughs> they can go to the park. But if they don't want to go outside, <laughs> they can go to hypable.com. Which is H-Y-P-A-B-L-E dot com, where we do news about lots of different fandoms. And we also do a number of podcasts about stuff that I'm sure you guys like. So go check that out and see if there's yeah. any other podcasts that you would like to listen to. And if there's a park that's Wi-Fi enabled, you could actually go to Hypable <laughs> from the park. The park <laughs> from yes. the park. There you go. Two birds, one <laughs> laptop. Oh. Um, of course, they- <laughs> We will also continue reading your tweets as you send them in. And we may not have mentioned the Facebook Ascent game uh, on this episode, but we are all on are all on the Facebook Game of Thrones Ascent game. And there is a guild or an alliance, I guess it's called, um, where you can find us and join us. And you will be, as Micah put it, our minions <laughs> in that. And you can also you can choose your house, you can choose your alliance, and it's a lot of fun. And actually, you can fight bears with us. You can trade bears or catch bears or do whatever you want with bears. Burn them. Um, with Mike. <laughs> so it's all very exciting. Yes. All right. And uh, finally, uh, you can rate and review us on iTunes where you uh, download our episodes thrice weekly, most likely. That's where I think most people uh, get the show. So uh, we do appreciate your uh, feedback on the show. And on Friday's episode, uh, Sam is going to make an appearance and read through your most recent reviews. And hopefully they're five stars or else the bear is coming. The <laughs> bear is coming. The bear named Winter is coming. Maybe yep. Winter's just a big bear. Winter boo. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you got to oh, like, man. you got to take a bear down a notch. You can't be ferocious. You really do. <laughs> you really do. You got to name it something like Winter boo. Um, oh my God. But anyway, we're going to get emails now with pictures of bears and that'll be our, that's our sigil. You bring it, what, memes? No, winter boo. Oh, winter boo is our sigil? There you go. It's replacing the camel for the time being. (laughs) It may have to fight the camel to the death. Like a wrestling, it should be like a wrestling bear and a camel. I agree. That concludes this Wednesday's episode of Game of Owns. I am Eric Stoll. 
listening. We'll see you on Friday. Bye. Bye. <laughs>